joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you on this rainy Tuesday night? Good, good. Doing good, boys. How are you? Doing all right. I just, I just want to see this rain melt all of Mother Nature's diarrhea that we got the other day. Um, as you all well know, I hate the cold. I hate the snow. I hate weather this time of year. Um, I hate that my birthday is in the winter because I live here. I would prefer to be somewhere warm for my special day in February, by the way. My birthday is in the Super Bowl. Uh, it's on Super Bowl Sunday this year, in case you cared. I don't think people do. But in any event, um, hopefully we melt some of it with this rain. But a lot going on, as always, gentlemen. And, you know, we get this question all the time. What do you guys do in the offseason? There is no offseason. I, honestly, there really isn't. We can't keep up with everything that's going on. We're doing our best to try, but there is a lot going on. And, of course, the center of the football universe, it seems, right now is Foxborough, Massachusetts, with the impending decision looming on the future of Bill Belichick. Of course, Belichick met with the media yesterday morning. We're going to get into that in a sec. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Mike Vrabel being fired today and what that means for his future and, and any possibility of him coming back to New England. We're going to talk some college football. We're going to talk some high school football. As always, we've got you covered. Before we do all that, I do want to remind you that if you are in the market to sell your current home or to purchase your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846, or shoot him an email at situate.mortgagerite.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to help you. All right, gentlemen. Let's jump into the Bella drama here, as I'm calling it. Of course, Belichick met with the media yesterday morning at 7.30. I thought it was pretty interesting. I know a lot of people said it was business as usual by Belichick, but I think there was a little bit more there than that. I think he accomplished a couple of things with that press conference. One, I think he, he for the first time that I can remember, he mentioned his contract, which has always been off limits. He's never talked about his contract. He mentioned his contract, and he also talked about the fact that he is willing to do whatever it takes or whatever is in the best interest of the team in terms of a restructure, that he it basically said that he's willing to give up personnel control. I thought those were two big things because from, from a contract standpoint, I think that's him firing a shot across the bow at Kraft saying, hey, if you don't want me here next year, you're going to have to fire me. It's that simple. I'm not resigning. I'm not walking away on my own. And as far as when he was asked about personnel, I think that's his way of saying that he would consider it. But I also think it's it was a message to the rest of the league that if you're interested in me, if I'm not here, you can hire me. I don't need to be your general manager. I'll just coach a football team. So I thought there was a lot to take out of that press conference yesterday. He only took five or six questions. He was pressed on whether or not he's met with Kraft. He was pressed in regards to his feelings about the situation. He didn't get into any of that stuff. But nonetheless, there was plenty to take out of yesterday's press conference. Yeah, look, we were both down there yesterday. And uh, for me, at least, it felt like there was a sense of finality, at least amongst the media. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it certainly felt that way to I me. I felt that way on Sunday. It, it, yeah, there was there was Definitely a sense of finality on Sunday because of Slater and also the uncertainty with Belichick. Yeah, no, and and definitely more so Sunday than yesterday. But um, my immediate thought after sitting there and and listening to that, and I said this to a few people at the time, was that was his Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not effing leaving speech. Um, that's what it felt like to me, at least. Um, and, and to your point, I do think it was more so just putting the ball in Kraft's court. Um, I still don't think he'll give up GM power wherever he goes, uh, especially if it's a new team. I think if anything, he'll want more at that point. Um, here, I, I definitely don't think that's the case. I know we're going to get to Vrabel. I do think that changes a whole lot in terms of just the decision-making process for the crafts. Um, but yeah, no, my biggest takeaway was that was Belichick saying, look, I'm not effing leaving uh, unless you make me leave, basically, and that was it. Yeah. I think you guys said it. I, you know, if he is willing to hand, hand over the personnel duties, then, you know, I, I'm surprised by that. 
because I, I thought that he was somebody that really wants to have his fingers over the entire football operations, that it would be all Bill Belichick. Um, so if he's willing to give up some of it, it's fine. I don't know, you know, what that process would be like. Um, so I'm really just sort of prepared for him to be fired or let go or what have you in, in some form or fashion. But I'm also not leaving, you know, I'm not totally giving up the possibility that he could be back. Um, but I do, I don't expect him to be back at the same time. I wouldn't be totally surprised, but you know, him, you know, saying or hinting at, you know, he would give up personnel is, is huge. I mean, that's, that's the one thing that almost everybody agrees upon that he needs to do or that, you know, where he had his most flaws. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, all this kind of surreal, you know, it feels like it happened pretty fast. But, um, you know, uh, I, but if I, if you have gun to my head, I don't think he's going to be back. Yeah, I, I, I'm still 50-50. I think we're all in the same boat in that regard. The prevailing thought is he isn't going to be back, but you never know. I do think to Kevin's point, Vrabel now being available does change the, the dynamics of this situation, but I, I don't think, I, I think he would be willing to give up personnel control. One of the things that I, at least I took away from the last couple of days is that I do think he recognizes based on the way this season finished and the ineffectiveness of this roster. I do think, and I know this is hard for some Patriot fans to believe, but I do think he recognizes that the roster is not good enough, that this team is broken. And while he wants to fix it, I think he also recognizes that he might need help in that in that regard. So I think what complicates things here is, one, it's not just him. It's not just what do you do with him. Let's say that Kraft says, no, actually, Bill, I do have the cojones. I'm going to fire you. What do you do with that front office? Do you fire that front office? That's fine. You can fire that front office, hire a general manager, and then hire the coach. But, again, I think a lot of this, and we've talked about this for the last few weeks, a lot of this comes down to whether or not Kraft can stomach the thought of firing this guy. Remember, the Krafts are very much PR conscious. They don't want to look bad in this situation. Robert Kraft did not like the way the Brady thing played out. He doesn't want to make the same mistake here. He recognizes Belichick's importance to the history of this franchise, what he means to the region. He wants to do this right. And I think the longer this goes, all that tells me is, is that the Crafts are deliberating what they want to do here. And I think the longer this goes, the more it increases the chance that Belichick stays. He might not be the general manager. He might not have final say over personnel. He may only be coaching the football team. But the longer this goes, the more likely I think it is that he stays. Now, I want to ask you this because I think if you were to ask 10 or 15 people this question, I think half of them would give you one response and the other half would give you another. But did you get the sense based on what Belichick said yesterday that he wants to be here, that he wants to stay here? Because there are a lot of people that think with one year left on his contract, that he's a lame duck coach. Did you get the sense based on what he said yesterday that he still wants to be here? So, yes, and um, I think he does. I think he wants to be here because he doesn't want it to end that ugly. The, the other day was an embarrassment. Um, not just, and look, obviously weather played a factor, but there was like 45,000 people there. Um, and it was just, it was a slog of a day. And, um, um, just a, a disastrous if that is the end of his Patriots career. So I think part of him wants to at least try to rebuild it and and go out the right way with, you know, his 25th and final year. Bring up the contract, I also think it was more just, you know, daring Kraft to say, uh, we don't need you here anymore. So, yes, I think part of him wants to stay here. But I also think after a while, he might just be resigned to the fact that it is the end. And, um, he's daring his boss to now, you know, cut him or, or fire him. And, and look, 
if he gets fired, they owe him 25 mil or we think, you know, roughly $25 million. So um, he's in a good spot right now, no matter what happens, either he's getting paid or he has a chance to, to, to make up for what happened this year and, and really the last three or four years. So I, I think it's 50, 50. If I think he wants to stay, but I also think if he goes, it wouldn't be, you know, crushing to him. Not that anything is probably crushing to that man, but um, I do think it's kind of 50, 50 in, in his mind. I agree. Um, I think part of him wants to come back. I think the other part of him knows how big of a rebuild this could be. And he doesn't necessarily want to take care of all of that by himself with anything. You know, it's just, you know, he might look at this team and say, look, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do it. You know, um, but I do think I do think fifty one percent of them says I can do it. Well, give me a shot. I want to go out on my terms. So, yeah, I think that's that's part of it there. And, and he also brought up his father during that press conference yesterday, and sort of what he instilled in him. So I think the whole loyalty factor is a thing with him too. Yeah, I think it is too. The other thing you got to keep in mind is he's going to be 72 in April. It's not easy to start over at that age. I can't imagine it is. I mean, I'm 48, but I can't imagine it's easy to start over at 72 years old. And for all we know, privately, he may not want to start over. His son, Brian, just had a child. They're in the area. His son, Steve, is in the area. Obviously, they go where he goes. They may not want to start over. So he may be willing when he does meet with Kraft, if it hasn't happened already, and I'm and I'm sure if it had happened already, we would have we would have gotten wind of it. Um, but whenever he does meet with Kraft, for all we know, he may be willing to sit down and pretty much give up everything but coach the team. He might be willing to say, "Look, if you want to go out and bring back a Thomas Dimitrov, a John Robinson, and Adam Peters, bring back whoever you want. They can run the front office, and I'll just coach this thing. I trust them. Let them pick the players." You know, he, he could – we don't know what his plan to fix this thing is. I'm sure that he's thought about how to fix it, but I really truly believe he wants to be here. I don't think that yesterday was him simply using the Patriots to leverage another team. I think he really wants to be here. I think it's a matter of whether or not he gives up personnel control. And look, he is arguably the greatest coach of all time, but I don't give a rat's ass how big your ego is. He has got to look at this objectively, and even he has to look at this and say, it hasn't been good enough the last four years, and it certainly wasn't good enough this past season. So he has to look at this situation and say, a lot of this is on me. Ultimately, I have the final say. I'm the final voice. Yes, he could sit there and say he wants to fix this all he wants, but the damage is done. And the fact of the matter is, this roster is not very good. And while they'll have some money to spend – and they have the third pick in the in the first round. This team has a long way to go. There, there, there's a lot of holes that need to be filled in, on this roster. And if you're the Crafts, ultimately that's what you got to think about here. Do you want him in conjunction with someone else deciding the future of this franchise? Have they proven in recent years? Has he proven in recent years that he deserves to be the one that fixes this? That's Something that I think if you're Bob Kraft, Jonathan Kraft, you really have to think long and hard about because it's something that they have to take into account here as they make their decision. So we shall see. Now, of course, big news of the day in the NFL is the Tennessee Titans fired Mike Vrabel. I kind of feel like they fumbled this whole thing. There was interest, supposedly teams interested in trading for him, but they didn't want to go through the trading process because they felt it would take too long. They wanted to get in on hiring their next coach now, and they wanted to start that process now. So Mike Vrabel is available. We know Robert Kraft's affinity for Mike Vrabel. He talked glowingly about him when he was here when he got into the Patriots Hall of Fame in October. He mentioned that he's willing in Vrabel and all this other happy-go-lucky horse crap. But I know you shake your head, but I'm going to say it a lot, okay? Willing and Vrabel, willing and Vrabel. Anyway, <laughs> how much – does him becoming available now play into this? Because we heard reports a couple of days ago that if his job situation changed, he'd be willing to come back here potentially 
as Belichick's replacement. For the Crafts, how much does Mike Vrabel becoming available change things? I think it changes everything. Um, one, he's now free for two years. He's The Titans still owe him that money. So, um, And about five or ten minutes ago, you brought up the whole public image. Well, if you're going to fire Belichick, this is probably the best-case scenario in terms of you have a guy that the fans respect. They know what he's all about. Um, you have a guy that knows what ownership is about that's coming in. It's honestly a perfect case scenario for them. Um, Kraft talked a lot about loyalty on that NFL game day um, appearance. Now you don't have to bring someone new in and get to know them. Um, I think it changes everything in terms of the the entire messaging. If you do get rid of Bill, you can fall right back on this. And I don't want to say it'll be like it never happened because there will be a part of the fan base that's still pissed that Bill is gone. But if you can bring in a familiar face and a guy that might not have had a ton of success in, success in Tennessee, but had some in the NFC Championship game, I think it's best case scenario for them. Well, let's see. I think I think Vrabel's a good coach. Didn't he got to an AFC Championship game, right? Um, he's, he's won playoff games. You know, he's. Um, I don't know if that's exactly if he's exactly who the Crafts have in mind. I don't. I I'm not in their heads. I don't know. Um, again, like the problem with this team right now is the offense. And I guess sort of the easy way to look at it is hire your next coach, be an offensive guy and fix that part of the team. And you have a good defense already. And maybe that's that, but I do think Rabel's a good coach. I don't know if he's necessarily the answer, but he, he checks a lot of boxes. He's experienced. He's won before. He knows, he knows the, the lay of the land here. So, uh, I don't. I, he would. I. I don't know if he'd be my first choice or whatever. But he is definitely somebody who's you know in the mix. Yeah, no, he's going to be in the mix. And if this job opens up, you'd have to think he's going to be the favorite. You, you do. I mean, like I said earlier, Kraft's affinity for him is well known. Gerard Mayo will be in the mix, depending on how long they want to take their search. You might have a couple of these offensive guys that are going to be in the mix. But there is no doubt that Vrabel will be in the mix if the job opens up. He's not only going to be in the mix here. He's going to be in the mix for any opening that's currently open right now, whether it be the Chargers, whether it be the Falcons, whether it be the Panthers. He's going to be in the mix for all of them. And quite frankly, if you're a team like Atlanta, if you could pair him up with a quarterback, let's say you could get Justin Fields out of Chicago and you hire Mike Vrabel, they instantly become arguably the best team in the NFC South. And they're not only a playoff contender next year, but if they do it right, they may end up a Super Bowl contender potentially down the road. So he's going to be very popular with a, a lot of these teams that have openings, particularly the Chargers, the Falcons, and of course the Patriots if they end up having having an opening. But there's no question about it. I, To me, his body of work at Tennessee is good enough that he deserves another shot. And there's, and, and there's no question that if the Patriots do end up moving on from Belichick and bringing in Vrabel, he's going to be a popular hire. I think a lot of people are going to be pleased with that hire. And to Kevin's point, perception matters to the Crafts. He's going to be someone that they could sell to the fan base. So if you want to bring in a Mike Vrabel, he's going to be an easy sell, which I do think matters to them. Because, again, you're, you're moving on from arguably the greatest coach of all time. But if you have a guy who played here – three-time Super Bowl winner, he's been a head coach. He hasn't coached under Belichick. He's he's cut his teeth at other places, but now he's come back to revive the organization that he was once a part of. That's going to be an easy, easy sell for the Crafts, and I think that that's part of it for them. They want this to, to, to go in their favor as much as possible. They want to look like they made the right decision, whether it's to keep Belichick with a restructured front office or to fire Belichick and hire Mike Vrabel with a restructured front office. Uh, Aaron Owens jo joins the show, or Aaron Owens, I should say. Aaron, thanks for checking in. As a listener, the gentleman with the hat and glasses told everyone that Matt Jones wasn't good, and Big John, you argued that he was a good quarterback. 
What does Jacksonville Jaguars legend Matt Jones have to do with all this? He was a receiver for the Jags. He played quarterback in Arkansas. Come on, Aaron. Hats off to him for warning you guys. Um, first of all, uh, this has to be one of Stone's friends. Like, although he called me Big John. Too. Do I know? <laughs> but my friends know who Matt Jones is. <laughs> they don't think he's Mac Jones. Uh, well, well, here's the thing. Look, I'm going to say the same thing. And thanks for for first of all, thanks for watching, Aaron. And we're trying to get the podcast back up. We've got a lot of technical issues with that. We are working on it. And we hope to get it up this week. But thanks for for watching, Aaron. Appreciate it as always, man. And and I don't mind being called out. Now, I will say this. In my defense, I've maintained the same posture with Mac Jones as I have from the beginning. And, Kevin, you wrote about this today, so I, I do want to get into Mac and some of the comments he made yesterday uh, during media availability in the locker room. But I've, I'm going to take the same position I have all along with Mac, which is if the pieces around him were high level – he was good enough to potentially be a top 15 quarterback and you can win 10, 11, maybe 12 games with him and be a, be a playoff contender. A Super Bowl contender would have depended on what else was around him and how good your defense was. Okay. And here's the thing. We can sit here and crap all over Mac Jones all we want, but the fact of the matter is he was a pro bowler as a rookie and, and they were a playoff team and they won 10 games. So I don't think I've been wrong about Mac. I think Mac has done a lot to damage his development and his reputation, but guess what? So have the Patriots. He played for three coordinators in three years. This situation has not been conducive to this kid growing and developing and becoming a good starting quarterback in this league. So for me, I will still say I think Mac Jones is better than Bailey Zappi, and I still think moving forward, if for whatever reason, and I don't know why they would, but if for whatever reason they decided to stick with these two guys, I'd go back to Mac and try it again with Mac before I gave Zappi a shot at being the starter. Maybe you let him compete for it, but Mac's the better player. Unfortunately, I think that Mac got into his own head, and I think that this situation was not set up for him to succeed, especially after his rookie year. But, Stone, you seem to have a fan in Aaron, so go ahead, take a bow. So real quick, I want to go back to, to Vrabel. Just one more point. If he does come, that's a guy who, you know, being the next guy after Bill, that's a challenge and a daunting one for yeah. a lot of people. I don't think he'd give a rat's ass. I think he'd love it. I think he'd embrace it. Um, I think he'd actually, you know, kind of use it as motivation in terms of I'm the guy that turned, you know, Bill's mess around. So, uh, and I do think being in other places, playing in Pittsburgh, coaching in Tennessee, it, it's a lot different if, if you hire him than Mayo. You've said this multiple times. Mayo's only been here. This is all he knows NFL-wide. So um, I do think Vrabel would have multiple per perspectives and also um, have that swagger to deal with being the next guy. In terms of Mac, look, I've I've said this for weeks now, and we've started to hear rumblings of Josh McDaniels possibly coming back. I would not be surprised if your quarterbacks next year, or at least two of them, are Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Um, I do think... It, I think McDaniels being here is probably the only way that happens because he ultimately had Mac playing well his rookie year. Um, but again, I, I've said it, they're both cheap and we know how this, this team feels about cheap contracts. Um, they can still bring another guy or two in sure, whether it's a veteran or, or in the draft, but don't be surprised if both of those guys are back here next year. Again, I think that only happens if it's Josh McDaniels, but uh, listening to Matt, his, um, I, I think he wants to be there, but I also think he wouldn't hate getting traded. Um, it's one of those things where ultimately he knows it's been ugly and he knows it's not all his fault, which he acknowledged yesterday. He he said, you know, I have stuff to work on, as he always does. We've talked about how he isn't great with the media either and doesn't do himself any favors. Um, I think that's kind of 50-50 on his mind. Again, I think if he's, if he's back here, he's... He's a team guy and he's willing to try to, to make it work. But I do think a trade is probably better for everybody else. Uh, but it's been a bad situation for him for three years now. And yes, again, he's, he's had a lot to do with that, but no offensive line, the coaching disasters. Um, again, he was a rookie only three years ago. Like most rookies don't have to deal with the amount of crap that he's had to deal with. So is he a bad quarterback? No, I don't think so. Um, is he a QB one? I still have no idea. 
I don't think the team has any idea still, but I could, I think that goes back to coaching. So um, I feel bad for Mac. I really do. I ultimately do. I think he's probably gone, but again, if Josh McDaniels is here, you have a QB one still on a, on a cheap deal. And um, it gives you flexibility with the draft too. So uh, that's another huge thing that the crafts have to figure out pretty quickly. Yeah, I um, I'm wondering how, you know, this this dynamic of getting a coach who's got Patriots ties in the last twenty twenty five years, and just whether or not that's something that Kraft really values. Does he want to bring back? Like you said, I mean, Ravel played here. Uh, Mayo played here. Um, is that the way you want to go? And I want to throw this name at you guys because it's topical. What about Jim Harbaugh? I mean, I've thrown that out there, I'm... but but I don't see it here. I do think he can – I do see a scenario where he comes back to the NFL. I don't see it here, though. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's realistic, but for us, it'd be absolutely gold content-wise. Yeah, except he's friggin' awful on the mic. I mean, he's just—he's just such a bizarre dude. I love—I I can't stand Michigan. Admittedly, I'm an Ohio State fan. Happy for our, all our local guys that won a national championship last night. Though, super happy for for those guys, both the, the Massachusetts kids on that roster and, and the Connecticut kids. But I don't see it happening. I just. I just think to me, first of all, I think Jim Harbaugh, any situation he goes into, I think he's going to want to have, if not personnel control, at least control the final 53 and who's on the roster, who's not, and how it's constructed. So I don't think Kraft is going to want to do that again. I really don't. I think that if if Kraft moves on from Belichick, he's going to want a traditional structure. He's going to want a general manager. He's going to want a head coach. He's going to want those two things to be separated. Of course, Coach is going to have a voice in terms of the construction of the roster in the final 53. But the other thing with Harbaugh is how long does he stay? Three, four years? This is a franchise that has had a coach for 24 years. They, I do think that Kraft and the Crafts care about stability. They're not the Roonies by any means, but I do think they care about stability. But I don't think that Harbaugh would be a guy that would stick around very long, honestly, even if you were to hire him. So I don't see it. you have anything on Mac Jones? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I do think, I do think his um, his problems were mental. You know, I think like he he's somebody that can get really worked up, and when one mistake happens, they like it snowballs with him. I I don't think he's beyond saving. I think like when he's at his best, he can be an effective quarterback. Now, how effective? I don't know. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's a top ten guy, but he can be good. But his rookie season, he was fine. Yeah, you know, like he was a decent quarterback. He's better than decent. I just feel like with him, it's all about what you can put around him. He needs a good skill group around him to really, really, really solidify himself. And I don't know. I don't know if, if if New England is sort of ruined for him now and he has to go somewhere else to reach his potential. I think if he goes somewhere else and has a couple like stud receivers, he could have a resurgence. I just don't think it's gonna work out for him here. Yeah, so, I, I, you were there yesterday. I, I, go ahead. No, I was just saying you were there yesterday. His answer when when asked if he feels like him and Bill can work together. He immediately went to Brady and, and the success they had. Did you find that weird? Cause that's why I think he also wouldn't mind getting out of here it was based on that answer. Well, I think I, a couple of things he said caught my attention. One, he said that since he's been benched, he's focused on redefining his body and working out and that he's put on seven to eight pounds of muscle. I thought that was interesting when he was asked if he wanted to be here next year, Obviously, and it's the smart answer. He didn't say he didn't want to be here, but you can tell by the way he answered the question that 
I think he he probably would welcome a, a change of scenery. I think he would welcome a trade to another team and another shot somewhere else. Um, that being said, I didn't get the vibe that he wanted out of town either. If he's here, he's here. I think he's going to do his best to compete for the job. We've said this all along. It's abundantly obvious. They're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. But a lot of this will come down to who the next coach is, whether it's still Belichick. If it's Belichick, I don't see him here. If it's Vrabel, it depends on who their offensive staff is, who the offensive coordinator is, and whether or not they can look at this kid and think they can fix him. Ego's a big part of this, gentlemen. Football coaches have the biggest egos in sports. There isn't a coach at any level walking this earth that doesn't think that they can make someone a player. And in this in, in this instance, depending on who they hire as the OC, that OC could come in, watch the tape, and say, you know what? Here's why this kid has struggled. Three different offenses in three different years, three different coordinators, different quarterbacks, coaches. You haven't given him a stable situation where he can grow and develop. We think we can fix him. Let's give him another year and see what we can do. Because here's the thing. If by chance you were in a position to maybe move that number three pick and add more picks and overhaul this roster, which is what needs to be done, the roster does need to be overhauled on offense anyway. If you could use that pick to do that and somehow find a way to be competitive and win next year with one of these two guys, whether it be Jones or Zappi, in some ways that would be ideal. For the Crafts, it probably, they would probably look at it as financially sensible. But the reality is it's, it's over for Mac Jones here. As much as we're talking about that it's over for Belichick, I think it's over for Mac Jones. I think he needs a fresh start. I think they need to move on. He's too effed up. You can't fix him. You're not going to fix him here. Someone else might be able to fix him in another place. But no matter who you hire here, no matter who's on this staff next year, you can't fix him. It's over. Um, Steven Rogers checks in. Yes to Vrabel. If he came here, the focus would be on him, unless on Coach Belichick leaving. Yeah, I agree because I think fans have short-term memory. It's not that they will forget about Belichick again. He's arguably the greatest coach of all time, greatest coach in Patriots history. But I think the focus eventually will be more on, okay, what are the Patriots going to do this offseason? What are they going to do in the draft? How's Vrabel going to be? What direction is he going to take this franchise in? The focus would shift. Now, if Belichick ends up somewhere else, he'll still be a topic of conversation, obviously. Aaron joins uh, the show again. Again, thanks for checking in, Aaron. Tom Brady made McDaniel look much better outside of Brady. He has had very little success. That is true. Uh, Patriots need to look at the future and stop going backwards by hiring old and out-of-touch coaches. Oof. You agree with him on that? Um, well, I don't – I. my only issue with that is I don't think McDaniel's – is one of the so so he did have most of his most of his success with Brady. I still think he's a good OC. I do too. Um, I, do too. I, I think I don't think he should ever be a head coach again. But as an offensive coordinator, I think he's smart. He's I think he did a really good job here of adjusting to league trends. I think he he's a good individual coach. He gets he gets a lot out of his quarterbacks and his skill groups. He he's a good offensive coordinator. I don't I don't ever. Don't ever need to see him be a head coach again, though. I think he's good situationally, too. Yes, very much so, especially when it comes to situational game planning and execution. He Look, if he comes back here in some capacity, I, I, I think it benefits the organization. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Let's not make more than this is. He was at the game on Sunday, but that doesn't mean he's back or he's coming back. I mean, that remains to be seen. I still think if Belichick ends up getting fired – and ends up somewhere else. I still think he goes with him as his offensive coordinator, but you never know. He could end up back here. Stone, your thoughts on that? Yeah, no. I, look, they were in the playoffs the last year he was here, right? I mean, 2021, he had Mac Jones at least as a playoff quarterback. So, um, yeah, of course, Brady, you know, carried him, I guess you'd say. Kevin's breaking up there, but he, he, he tends to agree with Aaron that, that Brady might have carried him a little bit. But, um, I, again, I don't know about that. I 
Look, I get why you would think that, but but you could say the same thing for Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich when he was in Tampa. Brady's Brady. Of course Brady's going to make any coach that he's played under look good, whether it be Belichick or Charlie Weiss or McDaniels or O'Brien. It doesn't matter. I mean, he's he's the greatest quarterback of all time, arguably the greatest player of all time. So I, I don't think we should be judging McDaniels or any other coach on how Brady made them look because Brady has made every coach he played for look good. Even back in Michigan, when they when they finally settled on him as a starter, so I don't think that that's a fair assessment. But I do think that there's something to be said about the fact that the last time McDaniel's was here, they went ten and seven. Mac Jones was a Pro Bowler, and they were a playoff team. Let's not discount that. They they haven't. He hasn't been the same, and they certainly have not been the same offensively since McDaniel's left town. They've been a train wreck. So I, I'm not sure he's going to come back and be a part of the solution. But again, you never know. I mean, in an ideal world, if you could get it that way, if you keep Belichick and let's say you keep O'Brien, you can somehow coax him into coming in and being a quarterback's coach, your pass game coordinator. I think that that is a win-win for the Patriots. I think, again, I mean, I, I just wonder how much – change they actually want and and it's a fair question you know like i just don't it 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 it, it, it's either going to be a total tear down or you know it's it's like i was i think i said this last week there's uh belichick's fingerprints are on so many parts of this football team that if you're getting rid of Belichick and you want to get rid of everything he touched, there's nobody left. You know, you know what I mean? So like, and I think I'm, people are taking that for granted. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we have, you know, this week, next week. I'm sure something will be going down here in the next few days, and of course, we have the rest of the off season to talk about the Patriots to break it all down. What they do with with Belichick, who they hire, free agency, the draft. You got plenty of time to talk about that. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Just a reminder, if you're ready to sell your current home or purchase your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. Or you can shoot him an email at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available nights and weekends. They're available anytime you need them to help you with your next purchase. All right, gentlemen, let's talk some college football here. Of course, one of the big things that's going on right now is guys committing out of the portal, but also coaching changes, which are a big part of the offseason, especially the early part of the offseason. I want to start with Holy Cross. Really impressed with the job that Dan Curran has done in assembling a staff there. Of course, a big hire this past weekend was we found out that Coach Brower is leaving his alma mater, UMass, Baltimore Brower is heading to Holy Cross. He is going to be coaching the Crusaders' defensive line. Uh, we also found out today that Brian Robat is going to be joining Curran at Holy Cross. He was the assistant head coach, special teams coordinator with him at Merrimack. Um, coach Vanyak is coming back as the defensive coordinator. He wasn't the defensive coordinator last year, but he is going to be the defensive coordinator this year for the Crusaders. Look, I think that Kern has done a terrific job assembling a staff. I think that one of the big takeaways for me is I think he wants that local flavor with the staff because I do think that not that Bob Chesney and his staff didn't emphasize Massachusetts and New England because we know they did, but I think that Kern being a Chelmsford guy, being a tried-and-true Massachusetts guy, Massachusetts, New England, this region is going to be at the core of what they do with recruiting. We hear coaches talk often about putting a fence around an area. I really, truly think that Curran wants to do that, and you can tell by the guys he's hired on his staff. For, uh, yeah. I would say, Adam, um, go ahead. My connection blows right now. Uh, that's all right. Um, well, I agree. I, I think Curran did an – outstanding job at Merrimack. I thought he was just to take them from where they were to where they are now. Um, Karn has done an unbelievable job. And I do think you're right, John, 
he's going to be have a heavy Massachusetts influence on the recruiting. I've talked about this a lot, but it felt like every year Curran would make an offer or two or three, whatever, of guys you thought would be perfect for that level and other coaches were sort of overlooking. And so I think Curran's a great recruiter. I think he's a great coach. I think he's going to keep Holy Cross at this high level that they've been at under Bob Chesney. And I'm excited to see what he can do. It's going to be a – it was a great – I think it was a great hire by Holy Cross. Um, they lose one good coach and then bring in another one. So, um, you know, kudos to them. Uh, can you guys hear me, first of all? Yes, yeah. we got you. Okay. Um, just to, to both of your points, um, what current built at Merrimack was consistency, and that's not easy at any level. But uh, when you're regularly competing for – at least playoff spots or, or, or conference championships that, that speaks to your recruiting and, and just the, the kind of kids you're bringing in that are buying into the message. So um, now if you're current, you're not only upgrading in terms of, you know, resources and stuff, but you have the ability to bring on guys who, you know, can already recruit the right type of kids. You know what I mean? So being able to, to bring guys in like a, like a coach Dresner, as as a new coordinator or um or coach Bo- or robot you know he knows how those guys can go into living rooms and uh and present the product to other people and for him to be able to know those guys and bring them in i think it's just so smart on his part and um could he have gone outside and um and will he maybe for our for, you know for other positions but um like bringing a coach canel back as well i thought that was a huge piece of the puzzle for him because not only he knows the program, but it's a guy who knows the area and knows how to get recruits in this area. So um, I think he's done a fantastic job so far building that staff as he did at Merrimack. And for me, it's all about recruiting. And and obviously that's, it's the lifeblood, but um, not going outside and, and bringing guys in again, who he knows and who he's, who he's heard pitch in living rooms. I think that's huge just for the continuity factor while you are taking over a brand new program. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that these hires are not only terrific hires, but it, it's the name of the game now, right? I mean, it always has been. Recruiting has always been the name of the game in college football. That's never changed. The portal has certainly changed how you recruit and who you recruit, but recruiting is still the name of the game. And now more than ever, you're not just recruiting high school kids anymore, though. You're, you're recruiting high school kids. You're recruiting college kids who are in the portal, and you're recruiting your own kids because you got to keep them. You got to get them to stay. So it's a it's a never ending battle when it comes to recruiting, and it's way beyond NIL now. Now more than ever, it's about getting your kids to stay and what you can do to develop them. Now, I do think what's going to help Kern is his reputation of helping guys get NFL opportunities. I think that's going to help him immensely. It's going to be a sales pitch for him for this staff. I think he's got the kind of staff where they're really going to emphasize regional recruiting, but I also think they're going to look to expand their or, or cast a wider net, if you will, especially because Holy Cross in recent years under Chesney has become more of a national program. So I think you're also going to see them make an effort to expand their recruiting base. But I think that this is going to be the focal point. And I do think, that Holy Cross is going to want to be in the conversation for any kid in the region, even kids that are more power five types. I think that they're going to want to be in that conversation regardless. So, you know, I, and, and, and you, to your point, Adam, about the job that he did at Merrimack, I mean, that part of the reason why they were able to make that jump to D1 and part of the reason why they were able to have success in the NEC is because they were recruiting at a high level and, and they, and their recruiting wasn't just, Massachusetts and Merrimack type kids, they were going well beyond that and bringing kids in from other parts of the country. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that these hires are terrific. Now, there was a big departure at Boston College. Coach Az is leaving to go back to Maryland where he's coached before. He's going to be the associate head coach of defense and the co-defensive coordinator. And look, this is a big, big loss for Boston College because Az is one of the best recruiters in the country. Never mind on the Boston College staff. He's one of the best recruiters in the country. He's got an endless supply of inroads in the DMV. 
this is a big loss for Boston College. A lot of the kids that they've been able to bring in from the DMV, the Mid-Atlantic, and, and the, the Carolinas and Virginia are because of, of as this is going to be a big high, this is going to be a big loss for them. It's going to be an important position to fill for Halfley. Obviously, he's a defensive backs guy himself, but from a recruiting standpoint, these are going to be big shoes to fill. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead. Man, no, we, we really are say, sucking tonight with the timing. Let's I, let's I figure it out, here, boys. I'm cutting Adam. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I think. I mean, it, it's it's good to see him at Maryland, just because I think that's you know he's going to recruit a lot of um, you know Maryland guys to Maryland. I think it's going to be great for him. I think if you're a coach at Boston College, there's some states you have to recruit well. Yeah. Obviously, just New England, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Ohio, and places like Florida. Everybody's in, in Florida. But I, Maryland's a huge one because there are tons, and I mean tons, of great prospects in Maryland every single year. You got some of the best high school teams in the country, um, you know, like Damatha, St. Francis, uh, Good Council, St. John's. Like those teams are are loaded every year, and if you can get in there, like he was able to do when he was at BC and at UMass as well, you know, those are you know important battles to win. And so now, you know, he's not on BC. They've got to get somebody. Who can recruit that area? It is such a uh, a talent filled part of the country. You really have to go hard after it. And so, it, yes, it will hurt them. How much? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I th I think I think it's a killer for them. And I don't want to overstate things, but as I just said, talking about Dan Curran and the staff that he has assembled at Holy Cross, recruiting is the name of the game. We know that. But when you have a recruiter of the caliber that he was on your staff, to lose a guy like that. As I said, they're not only going to be big shoes to fill on the staff and on the field from a coaching standpoint, but they're going to be even bigger shoes to fill on the road. And I think for Boston College, who has had a lot of success under Jeff Halfley in, in attracting skilled players, specifically defensive backs, from that part of the country the last few years, I think that those that's where you're going to that's where you're going to miss Coach Adams. That's where you're going to miss his connections there, his presence there. And I think for Boston College, not only do you want to hire a good defensive backs coach if you're Halfley, but you really, really need to hire a strong recruiter, someone that can come in with connections to high school coaches, either in that part of the country or other parts of the country that can make up for losing a coach of as his caliber. Because, look, I think to me, Boston College under Halfley's done a really good job of, of – cultivating a national recruiting base that they've been, they've gone into Texas. I mean, shoot, they've gone into Montana. I mean, they are more of a national program from, from a recruiting standpoint, more so than they've ever been. But I think a lot of that is, is that Halfley had the foresight when he got the job in December of 2019, like most coaches do, you want to hire strong recruiters. And so he did that. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is it's benefited them, even though they've had a bunch of guys going to the portal the last couple of years. But now you've got to fill those shoes. They're going to be big shoes to fill. Um, Stone was having some technical difficulties. Hopefully we get them back here. Um, if we don't, we apologize. We'll make sure that he's in a, in a better spot in terms of, of his Internet situation for next week's show. Adam, I do want to talk about your MIA All-State team. I do want to get into our coaches and players of the year real quick before we wrap up the show. And here comes Stone. Uh, should, should we let him in? Do people actually care what Stone thinks? No. You're back? Nope. He's I hope so. Back. Am I? You, you are. You, you sound good. Hopefully you can stick around this time. Any closing thoughts on um, Coach As? And where does BC go from here? Um. So for me, the biggest thing – Look, you have to replace the code DC now. So do you do you just yeah, right talk about Coach that. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm um, glad you came it. back in. <laughs> um, 
So that's a big decision for Halfley. He was his right-hand man, too. Like, there's a reason yeah. he was associate head coach, I think, the last two years, if not just last year. But it's – yes, it's a big loss recruiting-wise, but we talked about the momentum that they built, you know, off that bowl win. Well, now you have a, a maybe a third DC or a third, you know, defensive coaching change in three years. Um, so that continuity is going to be huge. I, I personally think you just hand it over to Duggan and, and you let him be the DC. But um, I, it's kind of fascinating to, to see, you know, if he goes co-DC again or um, if he's from the outside or, or something like that. So um, not only recruiting-wise, but just continuity-wise, that's a massive, massive, massive loss. Yeah. No, it is. And, and I'm glad you brought up the coaching piece from a coordinating standpoint because he was co-coordinator. He handled the coverages. He, he handled the back seven. The, the, those are going to be big shoes to fill. So whoever Halfley does hire, he's probably also going to want somebody with some coordinating experience because they may slide into that role depending on who that is. All right, Adam, wanted to just quickly um, put a bow on the MIA All-State teams. You unveiled them on Sunday just to give folks a heads up. We still have our um, Connecticut Players and Coaches of the Year awards that we're going to be announcing next week, and we're going to do an all-star team for Connecticut, but also we're going to have our college all-star teams this weekend. We wanted to wait for the national championship game to come and go. We're going to unveil our college all-star teams and honorable mention this weekend. But, Adam, just some thoughts on the Massachusetts All-State team. You know, you said this during the season, and – me, you, and Tyler have a lot of conversations about this stuff, contrary to what some folks out there might believe. Um, but you said this. I mean, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks in Massachusetts this year, and there was a lot of really good athletes. So it was hard. I mean, you you could have literally, you could have literally done 500 kids on this list if you could. But I yeah. think that you we we did a really good job of of honoring the players that um, certainly deserved to be honored. And then I'm sure there were some left out that deserved to be honored as well, but it's not an easy process. No, it's not. And you're always going to leave kids off. And that's the stuff that you remember is the, the guys that didn't make it on. So, um, but honestly, I think the, the, the kids we highlighted were all deserving. Um, again, the quarterbacks, like there were quarterbacks who were, on our honorable mention, who most years would be a second or third team guy. Like there's some, there's some really tough decisions. Um, the other thing I noticed is a lot. I mean, every year there's good seniors as well. There's good years from every class, but I was impressed by a lot of the juniors. And uh, there's not a lot of sophomores on there, but like this is this is a heavy, this is a heavy junior presence. Uh, on this list and again just in general this is so much fun to watch the film guys get their highlights up there on huddle and you watch that and you sort of you know pick the brains of as many coaches as you can so it was a lot of fun it is stressful though because you don't want to leave anybody off but that happens every year so um i'm just glad people like reading it yeah no i am too and i think that the response to it was terrific and it is available, by the way. We did not put it behind the paywall. Uh, our All-State team is available for everyone to consume. So definitely go check it out. We also announced our MIA D1 through Division 8 coaches and players of the year. And look, you know, every year, inevitably, someone will say, well, it, it, it leans heavy towards the, the coaches and the players who won Super Bowls. Yeah, it does, because typically they didn't just get there and win a Super Bowl. These coaches did a great job all year long that win this award. And the players were amongst the best in the state all year long. And they culminated their season or their careers with a state title. So, yes, while it does tend to favor teams and co you know, coaches and players that won state titles, that's not always the case for one. And, and it's certainly not the case this year. So uh, I, I thought that for the most part, when you look at our players and our coaches of the year, Division One, you can't argue with Alfonaro and Henry Hasselbeck. Zavarin had one hell of a run, one hell of a finish, winning it all at Gillette on a Wednesday night. Uh, D2, I mean, King Philip was the best team in the state, in our opinion, this year. They proved it. We had him number one. 
13 and 0, best season in program history. Brian Lee did a tremendous job in leading the Warriors to their third Super Bowl. By the way, six Super Bowl appearance in the last seven years. It's not lose sight of that. Sean King is one of the best players in the state of Massachusetts that no one talked enough about the interior defensive and offensive lineman for King Phillip. He was a force. He was a dude. That's why he was our D2 player of the year. Division three, Steve Dombowski leading Milton to their first state title in program history. I mean, what else can you say? Dumbo's second title as a head coach, of course. He won it in 07 at Swampscott. Noah McKenzie, our D3 player of the year, quarterback at Walpole High School. Only a junior, to your point, Adam. He's back next year. He had a tremendous season. Tremendous season for the Walpole Timberwolves. Almost called them the Rebels. Didn't. Uh, D4, Coach Landolfi, Alex Barlow. Alex Barlow, to me, was the best two-way player in the state this year. If nothing else, he was the best two-way skill player in the state this year. Would you agree? It's hard to think of somebody better. I mean, an outstanding player. I mean, really, that performance at Gillette was unbelievable. One of the hardest running backs to actually get down. I mean, he was just, tremendous. He's a super strong runner. Yeah, in Division Five, Jack Martinelli, the legend, wins his fifth Super Bowl as a head coach at Foxborough. He was our Division Five Coach of the Year. Brandon Mazenkis O'Grady was our Player of the Year in D5. And if you didn't get a chance to watch this kid play, he was tremendous. Every every coach that I've talked about in the Hockamock League, when they talk about players in the league this year, they talk about him. He's like the first name that comes up. And he was a force on defense. Arguably, you can make a case best defensive player in the state. I don't think that's a stretch. And, and, but then he could – he, he was a force on special teams, blocked multiple punts and returned them for touchdowns. And if you needed him on occasion, he could take a he could take a carry 70 yards to the house like he did on Thanksgiving against Mansfield. So he was terrific. D6, Derek Almeida leads Fairhaven to a Super Bowl win. Justin Marks, his fullback, was only a junior. He's back next year. He was our D6 player of the year. And if you haven't watched this kid run the football, it is a treat. Justin's a terrific player. We're hoping to get him on the recruiting visit this offseason and give him even more attention because he deserves it. He's arguably going to be the best back in the state returning next year, if not the best, one of the best. D7, you had Kellen LaChapelle as our player of the year, and you had Coach Matt Blood, both from Uxbridge, as our coach and player of the year. And what can you say about the season that the Spartans had? One of the best seasons in the state, start to finish. They were dominant. They won multiple games by double digits, and they capped it off with a state title. And D8, Mike Ross was our coach of the year, leading West Boylston to back-to-back -back state titles, a legend out in Central Mass. And, of course, Tyler Lennox, the quarterback of the Carver Crusaders, was our Division Eight player of the year. Uh, Tyler had a tremendous season playing for Ben Shufain down there at Carver. They had a great year. They lost to West Boylston in the Super Bowl, but that does not take away – from the job that Coach Shufain has done there and, and and the kind of player Tyler and others in that program were this season. So it really, for us now, it caps off the 2023 season. We're off to 2024 now and focusing on the upcoming high school season. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts here before we wrap it up? No. Um, nope. Sorry to the shitty internet connection. <laughs> well, a lot of fun. How did I get that? All right, so Kirchner had a good time. It was a lot of fun, and Stone has a shitty internet connection. So that's what we learned tonight. Also, Stone has fans out there that agree with him on Mac Jones. So there you go. Um, hey, it happen uh, yeah, you know what? You don't give yourself enough credit as being a uniter. You bring people together, Stone, a lot more than you think. You you think you're a divider. You fancy yourself this George Costanza character. You're more of a uniter than you think. I've seen you in that Patriots locker room this year, bringing people together. You're a leader in that young group of reporters. You're more of a uniter wow. than you think. Well, what happened with all the BC people then? Oh, that was just me stirring the pot. <laughs> and they loved you. I will say this, though. That BC crew, that they, you not, and I'll say this. I didn't even have to bring it up. Where's Kevin? Where's I got sick of answering the question. Both me and Ryan Barry were like, enough. What is he, like the president of the Boston College Media Association? What are we doing here? So you're you're well-respected, man. 
you are. I mean, and and again, you're more of a unifier than you think. All right, enough of 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 blowing your tires here. We don't need to to continue to uh, pump your tires up here. All right, gentlemen, great job Please as stop. always. Hopefully by next week, we'll know what the fate of Bill Belichick is. My guess is we'll find out at some point this week. But that'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirch, and I'm John Serenitas. Till next week, peace. See ya.